Welcome to the Friend Zone. I'm your host, Kojo Minta, and with the help of friends, we will try to clear up the darkness today. We discuss social and personal topics that affect us and possibly you too. This is the only friend zone where there's a solution to get out of it. My parents, like, it was just, it was almost like a, it felt like you were about to take an exam to just simply ask to go to the mall. You have to come up with a plan. You have to, you know, you have to, you have to say that, like, I used to have to say, I'm going with one of my other friends who I know is Nigerian. So, you know, you know yeah. like, say you're going with someone else who is African so that your parents will trust them. Today, we will discuss black males in underrepresented spaces, leadership in medicine, and traditions that we will continue into our future generations. And without further ado, I want to welcome Sam Ndukwe to the friend zone. Thank you, brother. Thank you for having me on your podcast. Really excited to speak with you. Yes, sir. Yes, sir. Now, bro, let's go back. Let's go back down memory lane a little bit. How did we first meet, man? Do you remember? Yes, we met, I believe, in the National Society for Black Engineers, which is pretty much our Black Engineering Club back at UNC. I believe I was a freshman and, you know, you were, uh, you were a sophomore or a junior? Junior, junior, yeah. Junior, yeah. Okay, yeah, you were a junior. And I, I think that's how we initially met and we just connected, I think, because we're both, you know, both uh, West African and connected on that, both trying to be engineers initially. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> something like that, something like that. <laughs> you know what's funny? That Nesby meeting was actually at another club meeting, the Oasis meeting which is, you know, the one that they have usually at the beginning of the semester to garner interest for the club. And they pretty much allowed me and my friend Brandon, who was one of the co-founders of the club, to just present and kind of pitch this new club that we were recharting on campus. And um, yeah, like you said, we were both interested in engineering. Funny thing is, I was just interested in STEM. And that's what essentially the club catered to. Um, And you, you know, you were talking about possibly going into engineering. And I guess that kind of was what sparked the relationship. Um, yeah, but besides that, man, you know, you mentioned Nesby, uh, also Oasis. Um, you know, during during your time there, how was it being part of the, the African student organization? Yeah, so for those listening who aren't familiar with Oasis, pretty much our African student org at UNC Chapel Hill, and honestly, I really enjoyed Oasis. I was more involved in the initial college years, but I like participated in a few of the like, African nights and went to some of the events. And I enjoyed it, man. It was great to, I think, engage with students who, even though most of the time you run into Nigerians just in these clubs, but like I feel like our organization, though, it wasn't just Nigerians. There's, I mean, Ghanaians, people from Congo, Cameroon. <laughs> like, it was different, different African countries represented. So I really enjoyed it meeting different people. It was fun. I think it kind of just like switch up kind of the cultural experience at UNC, you know, it'd be like, oh snap, you know, there's a, a decent amount of, you know, representation here. Yeah. <laughs> so I enjoyed, I enjoyed the club, man. It was great. It was great. It was fun. Yeah. Yeah. Nah, Nigerians, y'all just deep. Y'all just deep. You know, funny thing is today that we're recording is Ghana Independence Day, but still, you want to take this day away from me. Congrats. <laughs> nah, appreciate it. Appreciate it. Appreciate it. Ghana is... For the next three hours, you can say that your jalap is uh, superior, but... <laughs> yeah, God, just three more hours for the end of the day. But, yeah, I mean, Oasis, besides Nesby, that was probably the other club I was most involved in. Um, definitely had some great memories. African Night. Um, and yeah, just, I mean, being part of the flag show, for example, that was something I really enjoyed. Like I said, Nigerians were deep. So it was probably about like 50 of y'all on the stage at one time for the flag show, but, um, that was a good show. That was a good show. That was fun. Yeah. And I forgot that y'all rechartered Nesby. Actually that slipped my mind. I remember Mm -hmm. that was the year y'all rechartering it. So that was really cool too. Yeah, bro. Yeah. Um, besides that, I'm pretty sure you got involved in other clubs on campus, man. Um, or just got involved in other ways too, bro. Like what, what would you say your time was Chapel Hill? 
uh, in terms of like extracurriculars? Oof, man, uh, I would say initially, yeah, outside of Nesby, outside of Oasis, I was involved in like my campus ministry, Every Nation, loved being in Every Nation, was part of that for all four years, but especially again, sophomore, junior, I was probably most involved. I was part of Community University, which pretty much was this um, uh, like mentoring organization for students in the Orange County area. Uh, specifically, I did like K through three. And that was fun because I just think, you know, mentoring kids that even though like, yeah, it's a form of service for them. I feel like it's also a form of service for me. I think it's like looking in a mirror sometimes. You're seeing these kids who have all these dreams and passions. It just kind of reminds you of like, you know, when you were that age and they're always teaching me something. So I did that all four years too. I was really heavily involved in that. Um, in addition to that, I mean, I was always just kind of showing up at stuff, even if I didn't necessarily join an organization. I was part, before I decided to go pre-med, I was part of a pre-PA club. I was part of, uh, we played intramural basketball for like two seasons, you know, um, couldn't give up those hoop dreams, still haven't given them up, you know, we'll see how it goes. <laughs> we did, I mean, we did a bunch of, I mean, I always show up at stuff, man, especially if they had free food, I probably joined somebody's club at one point if they had free food, at least for a day. So, I, um, trying to think, those are probably the main organizations and BSM, our Black Student Movement, like our Black Student sure, Movement. Sure. I was part of like their kind of um, uh, ambassador, kind of uh, class ambassadors each year for our class of 2021. So those are my main involvements. Yeah, those are the main ones. Yeah, yeah. I mean, there's a couple others that I think you were involved in that you maybe didn't get to mention right now, but you know, there's minority. <laughs> um, what, what are you thinking about? No, I was gonna say I forgot. I was like, how did I not mention that? That's probably one of my biggest. Yeah, that's one of my yeah. biggest. <laughs> yeah, I mean, minority men in medicine. I mean, we also had um, trying to think the exact name of the one where we had the barbershop talks. Barbershop men of color. Um, men of color. Yup. So clubs like that. <laughs> Get some free food too while you at it. Yeah, um, that so, was that was vital. Freshman year needed that. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Save $25, $30. Yeah, that'd be nice. Every dollar counted, man. Every dollar counted. Every dollar counted. Yeah, that was a that was awesome, too, man. Yeah. Sometimes I wondered how, like, students were going out every weekend because I was, like, always looking at my bank account. I'm like, as long as I got 100 bucks in there, I'm good. I'm decent. <laughs> at least 100 bucks. Yeah. I used to get, like... Freshman year, first semester, I had a research job, but I only worked a few hours in between class. Every two weeks, I probably made about $80, $90. And that was enough back then. You know, I could I could go two weeks on $80. Nowadays, yeah. Oh, no way. I'd be yeah, begging for change. But that's back when you know yeah. you get a party ticket for five dollars and then you split an Uber with your Man. friends. So that was the yeah. Hey, you definitely made a dollar stretch when you were in college. You definitely knew how to be resourceful. And I mean, one one of the things that we identify as is um, being first-gen Americans, being African. And I mean, <laughs> there's some frugalness that comes with the culture too. So I think that definitely helps with that. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, you, you probably spend five, $10 max on recreation. After that, you're not yeah. interested. <laughs> Don't no, need for it. sure. For sure, man. Um, but like, like we met, just mentioned, you know, there were several clubs that we got in, invested into, and I'm pretty sure you had a role to play in, in some leadership roles, man. Um, you know, when you, when you think back on your time at Chapel Hill or even now, like, how do you feel like you've cultivated being a late, a leader and what does being a leader mean to you, bro? That's a good question. I feel like being a leader to me means a number of things. I definitely think it's just more than a title. I feel like being a leader is somebody who can be compassionate. I think you have to be a servant first, because I don't think you can lead people somewhere that you never, you can't lead, I don't think you can lead people um, maybe in a direction that you have no knowledge of, or you can't necessarily lead in a position that you've never served under. I feel like it's very difficult to do that. Um, I just feel like there should be some type of foundation you lay before you start trying to lead others. Um, 
I think it just takes a sense of like empathy as well to be able to understand other people. And I feel like a leader is not always necessarily like um, appointed by self or appointed by someone else. But I find that a leader is often, you know, um, just like chosen out of like spontaneity. Like I think a leader is often chosen out of need or just out of a, a circumstance may come up where a leader is needed and it'll just become more obvious. Like who is a person who's working, who is serving, who is knowledgeable. Oftentimes people will find themselves following someone on their own. You may not always need to necessarily vote on a leader, um, but obviously that is how we often choose one. So I think it's just a number of things, but I think it just encompasses compassion, empathy, service, knowledge, um, humility. I think a leader is definitely going to be somebody who's going to do a lot of the work you just won't see. Um, I think those are the people we tend to want to follow or serve because um, you don't necessarily need to be given a title to be a leader, um, if that makes sense, kind of rambling. Here. Mm. That's kind of what I see as a leader. And I think I've been able to embody that at times, not all the time, but I find that I think a lot of the organizations or opportunities I've been given or been uh, maybe leading in, I think it's been a result of that but not a byproduct of me like being put in that position. So I don't think I was became a leader and then started to portray those qualities. I think because of those qualities, I was recognized as a leader, position or not. Mm. No, that's very interesting, man. Like I didn't even think about that, um, how like people who are leaders don't necessarily have to have the title. And I'm just thinking back to your time at Chapel Hill. Were there like times, bro, where you were in a club and you weren't necessarily like part of the executive team, but you still felt like you were a leader in that club. Yeah, I definitely think so. I feel like it may not even necessarily been a club. Like I remember mm -hmm. my junior year, uh, I think this was pre COVID. And I remember, I think I was able, fortunate enough to win like an MLK scholarship. Uh, I was like a finalist. I didn't actually win the final award, but I was a finalist for it but they still came with some reward money. And with that money, I reached out to some guys who I thought there was an opportunity for us to serve. They, we volunteered in the morning and then evening, I took them to Frankie's and kind of split the money between like 10 of us. And that was just an opportunity for, I think I wanted to demonstrate to some of the younger guys who were with me and some of the older guys who were with me as a reminder that like, you know, just cause one person wins doesn't mean we can't share. It's more like, this is a, a tribute to, you know what we can do kind of together. So there's an opportunity for us to serve and then have some fun. And I feel like that was an example of leadership that didn't necessarily, no one appointed me, a no one gave me like a title of being a leader. No one paid me to do it. You know, I took scholarship money from my own pocket and used it to, you know, um, engage in fellowship with the guys around me. Or just, you know, trying to reach out and mentor guys. Even really what you're doing here, I think, is another form of leadership. Reaching out to guys you, you know are trying to do what you're doing or interested in, you know, being in a position like you're at one day. And trying to support them and be there for them. I feel like that demonstrates, you know, that empathy, that compassion, that knowledge. And I think that's, those are the qualities that people will see you as a leader, even if you never asked for it, you know? So I think those are some examples of how I've been and also like seeing you do this with other people of what a leader, you know, is really capable of doing. Um, and I find that that's when you then are probably appointed one officially, but I don't feel like even though maybe other people sometimes think this, I don't think a true leader needs the title first because um, it doesn't really make sense for you to be given a title for something you haven't really demonstrated yet. Mm. So so it has to be earned, man, it has to be earned. I think it does. I think you can be given a title, but like you're not going to marry a woman just because and then, <laughs> and then, and then tell her she... only the qualities of a wife. You would see those yeah. qualities and propose in maybe mm -hmm. modern Western marriage culture, unless it's arranged yeah. or something. But ideally, you would see qualities that attract you to somebody. Then you, then you assign titles. Like, because you're a good person, I want you to be my friend. Because you're mm. a woman, you may then propose to a woman you want to marry. Because you demonstrate the qualities of someone who works hard and leads and is honorable and trustworthy, I would think you would make a good leader. You know what I'm saying? Mm -hmm. It doesn't really make sense, I think, to do it in the reverse. Bro, that makes perfect sense, man. Just because you're a woman and we get along doesn't mean I want to date you. I want to marry you. You're just yeah. another friend. There's yeah, so qualities you that you have to exemplify. You, want to marry, you better show your quality of wifely, of wifeness beforehand. Yeah. 
Exactly. No, I, mean, exactly. I agree. Like even as us wanted to be, you know, uh, hopefully husbands one day, we need to show that yeah. we're willing to lead a household, right? Like mm. I tell a woman, like just because I'm me, <laughs> you should want to marry me. You know, I would mm-hmm. hope that she would recognize qualities that I demonstrate and then trust that I would be a good husband. You know, I'd be a good father, that type of thing. Bro, before we continue, man, I just got to ask you again, how old are you? <laughs> 23 going on 60, man. That's what it feels like sometimes. Man, man, you just dropping that wisdom, bro. You just dropping that knowledge, man. Passing the offering plate around. <laughs> hey, I'm going to let you cook. No, I mean, I love I, dude, I love our conversations, though. I feel like, you know, we can't often have the space to have these conversations, especially as black men. I don't have these conversations with a lot of people. Um, mm-hmm. So it's it's nice when you get to have a chance to sit down and even do this, you know, in a on a public format like this. So, yeah, I'm really grateful for it. No, for sure, for sure, bro. And I mean, you just mentioned being a black male, and I mean that's that's a maybe a, a nuanced aspect of leadership. But like, I mean, both of us are black males. Do you feel like it's it's a little bit different to be a leader as a black male? Do you feel like, you know, we shouldn't look at it anything? as anything separate from what any other race or any other background would um, assume leadership as? Poof, that is a loaded question. Hey, it's a mouthful. That is a good question. You, Kojo, that's probably the question of the night. I think I'd be be remiss if I said that, you know, leadership shouldn't be catered to, you know, cultural differences or ethnic or racial differences. Because I think you have to consider you know, history and culture when thinking about maybe leadership in certain communities, I think especially in a Black community. Um, I think there's so much stigma uh, surrounding uh, just Black men. I think there's also just so many stereotypes that limit Black men and honestly imprison us, I think, sometimes in our own minds. I just feel like we're victims of stereotypes. So I feel like Black male leaders are essential However, I also think black men as leaders doesn't need to be some type of like, some type of like extreme civil rights, presidential aspiration. Like just cause you're like a a hardworking black man who maybe stays out of jail and is smart. doesn't mean you need to become Barack Obama. Like it doesn't mean you need to become the next LeBron James or the next Martin Luther King. Like it's okay to just be you. Um, Cause I find that black men, we can't escape stereotypes whether they're negative or even positive sometimes. Like, it's not necessarily bad that, you know, people aspire, like desire for a black man to become this cookie cutter Barack Obama, but there's so much more to black men than these, these again, these like five examples, either like criminal, ball player, president, doctor, lawyer, but other cultures, you know, well, at least our white counterparts, Nobody really, you know, you could be anyone you want. You could be any type of guy. I just feel like black men, um, we should also be given that same opportunity to be who we want to be. But I agree. I do think we need to be leaders because I think so many of our population specifically is suffering either behind bars financially Uh or due to educational disparities. I just find that there is a lot of leadership needed to set examples for those that are going to come after us. Um, because for a lot of us, you know, a lot of us, maybe we're the first ones to either go to college, first ones to go to grad school or med school. I mean, we're doing things that our parents can't imagine. So it's awesome. But I also don't think it needs to stop with us. So I think we also mm-hmm. need to pouring into others. You know, as we fill our cups, we need to still be pouring into other people, you know, lifting as we climb. Because, I mean, yeah, it's been 60 years since the Civil Rights Act has passed. But as a community, of course, we're still struggling immensely. Mm. Yeah. And that's all well said, bro. But I got to know, out of those four or five careers you just listed, which one are you trying to pursue? You trying to be the baller rapper? Right. What are you trying to do, man? Yeah, here I am talking about those careers like I didn't pick one. <laughs> yeah, right now, um, some of my beats on came from the studio, trying to rap, you know, trying to make music, see how it goes. Um I just feel like a lot of people in my city just aren't listening to good music, real music. So here I am trying to, you know, change the culture, bring us back to real music. Uh, so that's what I'm trying to do. Um, it's coming soon. This is my first promo, okay. not the last. 
Yeah. Outside of that, though, on the side, when I have free time, <laughs> uh, I'm applying for med school on the side. You know, when I got free- how you doing both? Um, you know, most of the day is studio time. Most of the day is studio time. People don't understand, you know, doing five beats a day for three summers, um, just working. And then, you know, in the evenings when I got like an hour or two, you know, I'll just, you know, study apart from med school a little bit here and there. So we'll see in the fall where I'm going to be at with med school. Mm-hmm. But really, it's it's rapping them okay. medical, medical school. So, yeah. Okay, okay. And if y'all haven't caught on, he's joking. He's joking. No, nah, he's um, not. Y'all, I'm serious. Medicine, <laughs> rap up here, though. So, yeah, I mean, me and Kojo, you know, we both drink the Kool-Aid. So we're both trying to go to yeah. medical school become one of the two percent of black male physicians but hopefully by then Mm -hmm. an increase to you know something more represent representative so we're doing the thing yeah i mean one of the schools i got an interview for i think the the percentages of blacks alone not just black males is less than two percent so i mean just thinking about that I, i sometimes wonder how can i how large is the class size uh, class size is a good question. I, I don't remember the exact number, but it's definitely a couple hundred. Wait, it's more than it's more than like two hundred. I think it's at least a couple hundred. I could be wrong, but I'm pretty sure it's at least a couple percent. Yeah, African American. Oh wow. Yeah, bro. <laughs> That's why we need. Yeah, put in thing. Yeah. yeah no, 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 for sure. And just, and just putting, putting that into perspective, it's like. What do we do? What do we do in these spaces, bro? Like, for you, where do you see yourself once you enter med school? Like, how are you going to continue your leadership? That's a good question. I'm still, I mean, I'm still kind of stuck on 2% of almost 200 students. I mean, yeah. Gee, yeah. oh, that is crazy. That is insane. <laughs> oh, my goodness. That means there's only like, yeah. oh, I'm to mess up this math. Okay, there's like four black people out of 200. Um, yeah. Yeah. Crazy. Man, that'd be a real small, real small black student org if they started one. <laughs> Man, jeez, that's crazy. But I mean, I think that's extremely relevant. I think about that every couple of days. Like, what will it be like? You know, whatever med school I go to, um, unless it's an HBCU, because um, I did, I did get accepted to one HBCU med school that I'm gonna check out. But um, mm-hmm. it, depending on what school I go to, you know, if it's not predominantly black school or predominantly like diverse school with a lot of different cultural representation which most of them are not then it's like what would that be like will it be like undergrad again because undergrad you know i felt like i found my way i did feel like mm-hmm. UFC was a school i enjoyed and i felt like i connected with people but also it was undergrad you're more encouraged to be social med school we're really focused first on training first not really being a, not your social life as much I do plan True. to, you know, develop community. You need that no matter what you do to connect with people, to have friends, to grow. But um, sometimes I do worry about what will it be like kind of on an individual. Cause you know, you're an adult now. You're not a, you're not 18, just going there to go to parties. You're an adult trying to train, trying to learn, you know, how to become an effective clinician. Uh, but I think essentially what I hope to do is connect with faculty that I can get to learn and trust faculty that looks like me, hopefully, or, those people that look like me connect with physicians i know of uh, connect with classmates you know can like you kojo you know connect with friends at schools trying to do what i'm trying mm-hmm. to do and hopefully i think uh, something i really just want to do is also connect with people in the community i really hope to be part of works that you know like uh, minority men like i, I want to do something similar where minority men we're putting on our white coats we're going to high schools we're going to middle schools we're, we're walking around People are looking at black men with white coats saying, I want to be like that. You know, like, how'd you do it? Mm-hmm. Uh, that's something I really hope to see. Um, and if I don't see it, I want to be it, whatever med school I go to. Because that's the same way I got started seeing black men around DC who had on white coats. And I said, Whoa, I didn't know black men really could become doctors, like, really become surgeons. Um, and when I saw that, it turned a light on for me. So I want to do the same for somebody else. Yeah, yeah, bro. You just reminded me of the slogan from um, our time in uh, minority men in medicine. Um, Claudius Polk always used to tell us, strive to be black men in white coats. And I mean, that's something you often don't see growing up, especially as a black child. 
Um, I could probably count on my hand the number of black doctors I've seen and known. And it's few and far in between. And, you know, we're trying to definitely change the metrics, change the statistics and increase those percentages. Um, I know earlier I just mentioned that the percentage at that school, it was about 2% black. I just remember now that it was recorded on one website that it was less than like 2%, but on their website, it was 6%. So I don't know if it's like they're just trying to, you know, increase the numbers so they look better or... People can select, you know, what they identify yeah. as. Like they can say, oh, that's know, true. Irish, black, and Hispanic, and white all in one, and 2% Indian here, and 3% Congolese. So yeah, hey. Hey, if, even if I was mixed, man, and I got an ounce of black, I'm just choosing black. Yeah. Just to increase the numbers. <laughs> Just to increase it. Yeah, it's I, it's interesting, man. It's yeah. yeah. I feel like maybe it's gonna really hit when we actually go to school. Cause I think it's one thing like you know I went mm -hmm. to predominantly white schools for like public school going up until college, mm -hmm. but I went to like going to a really predominantly white institution for college because higher education is predominantly white. But then medical school, yeah. I mean. This is a whole new definition of predominantly white. This is medicine, <laughs> medical school. So I'm sure for a lot of my classmates, I'm going to be that black friend. You know, hey, Sam. <laughs> Sam is Sam isn't like the other ones, you know what I'm saying? So it's something that like mentally, I know I need to get ready for, but at the same time, I do really appreciate schools that are actively trying to recruit more black men or more minority men, more just minority mm -hmm. women as well. They're trying to increase mm -hmm. leadership. Some schools I saw are electing new deans and professors of color. Um, and, and that's not necessarily like, you know, that doesn't mean they're done working up. Well, we got two new black deans and two new black professors. All right, see y'all in 20 years. Let's see what happens. Like, you know, the schools that I feel like are actively trying to physically and also maybe like administratively make changes so the students can actually get a sense like this school is different. This isn't the med school from 1985 you know, that's ranked number three or number four or whatever, but it's not really actually, you know, a, a diverse quality institution. I think there are some institutions I'm really seeing change. And you see that at interviews and stuff, but um, I do think we have a duty to really lift as we climb and hopefully, you know, um, inspire others. Because like you said, I didn't see a black male doctor until I was 20. So going to med school is like going to the MBA. At first, it's just something I thought people did on TV, not really actually do. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. And I think even beyond medicine, like I saw some statistics that there's a lack of men in the heel industries, which I think is health education administration and I want to say leadership is what the L stands for. Um, we need more men, especially when I think about education. And that's something I know eventually, once I'm done with medical school, I'd want to get into to give back to um, to other students, maybe other students that look like me who don't have that direction to, to pursue something academically, but know they want to achieve um, academically. I think having those leaders in those spaces is definitely going to be important going forward, man. Definitely. I mean, that's true. I definitely think you also have to educate um, I don't exactly know the extent to my, you know, teaching or educational involvement, mm -hmm. but I know I would like to also be, you know, um, a professor at some point. I don't know if I want to do academia mm -hmm. or not yet, but I, I do. Mm -hmm. I just want to inspire people the same way I was, because I think that's it's life changing. You know, I think that's what you're alluding to. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Now that's it. You got a hundred percent. Um, kind of want to delve back on something you mentioned about connect and connecting in medical school. Um, I think that's very important and maybe not aspect of leadership we always think about. Um, you got to be able to to be able to plug in with your community um, before you can qualify yourself to maybe be that leader. Um, but also, let's talk about connecting back to our roots. You know, we're both first gen Americans. Um, I came here when I was an infant about six months old to the States. Um, I think you were born here, but still Nigerian bred. Uh, how was it, man? How was it um, growing up here with that African culture in the background? Yeah, it was hard. 
I think um, I I think my culture is such a big part of my identity. Um, I don't think it defines me completely, but I think it is uh, like defining character, defining characteristic of who I am in some aspects. Uh, I really think I appreciate the fact that I've been able to like go back to the village several times. I've been able to visit where my father grew up, where my grandfather lived, where my great grandfather is buried. These are all places I can point to, and I can, if I needed to go back now and point to point to it, I could. I could show somebody. I think there's just so much power in being able to physically go and see where you're from, see your family. I think that's, you know, that's not necessarily a privilege that um, a lot of people get to have, especially a lot of the people in the African diaspora don't really get that opportunity, even if you know, their family may be more directly linked to an African country. I have friends who just have never been back just for a number of reasons. They just never have been back to whether it's Nigeria or Congo or Ghana. Um, but I'm glad, like, despite not really having money growing up, a lot of times my dad just really emphasized that. If anything, he would save and make sure to take out money just for us to go back and see where we grow up. And I think as a kid, I didn't fully comprehend the importance of that. For the order of God, I just realized how valuable it is to um, have that sense of identity, that confidence, I think, in who I am. And I think also just that knowledge and um, that uh, just security. Um, I just feel like it's given me a sense of just identity that has really kind of kept me from, I think, getting too distracted in places like college or, you know, trying to figure out what I want to do in my life. I always felt like I've had a better understanding of who I am. So it's either to decide what am I going to do with myself. Man, Man. Yeah. yeah, now that African identity, I mean, it definitely, it definitely grounds you, I feel like, and seems like, seems like for your family, your dad definitely wanted to make sure that you were connected to your roots, know where you came from, those humble beginnings, and then it's brought you to where you are, where I feel like you still remain humble, even though you've accomplished a lot already in, in, your, in your 23 years of life. Um, I want to take a quick, quick aside, man, and talk about other things that connect me and you. You know, I'm Ghanaian, you're Nigerian. I mentioned today's Ghana Independence Day, and we sh <laughs> we share a little bit of the same culture. But you know, I I want to see which one is better in certain aspects. If you catching my drift? Yeah, yeah, yeah. For today, for today, <laughs> let you um. I'll let you get away with saying that your jalap is better today. You know, it's your day. Ah, uh, okay, okay. But tomorrow, I'm going to have to disagree with you, my brother. I'm not. That's crazy. On that, bro. I just can't. Hey, hey, you know what? That's fair. I would say the same thing for October 1st, man. I yeah. say the same thing. Y'all can have your Independence Day to claim the jalap rice. All right. I'll give it to our right. sort of neighbors. Um, I think Benin and Togo separate us, but um, so yeah. uh, African neighbors. But um, <laughs> we, we discussed that uh, I think jollof rice actually originated in was it Zimbabwe? Where was it? Where did it originate? Oh no, Senegal. Senegal, Senegal, not Zimbabwe. Yeah, mm -hmm. Senegal is where it actually originated. But I've never actually heard anyone from Senegal. Um, advocate for their country regarding this. <laughs> um, we will just have to um, recognize, but you know, it has been, uh, I guess, passed passed on. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Now we definitely fight over a dish that we didn't even it didn't even originate in either of our countries. I got a question for you. Yeah, yeah. You know, um, like you know, they talk. I've, I've, I remember I saw this poll talking. I guess this poll in the news. And it was kind of mm -hmm. uh, just a survey of, uh, I think it was at countries with the most doctoral immigrants. Um, mm -hmm. Nigeria, I believe, ranked really high. Like it's like, and I think they actually like compared it to just African American doctors, mm -hmm. like PhD, MD, doctorate degrees. Um, and the Nigerians had a lot. I mean, it's also a lot of us here, but a lot of Nigerian immigrants have doctorates. But I'm sure it's also probably similar numbers for other African countries like Ghana. But how do you feel as, you know, West Africans getting doctor degrees? Do you yeah. feel like there's just an expectation? Kind of that stereotype is seeming to show its head. But do you feel like there's an expectation for you to get a doctor degree? 
did you feel like you had to get a doctorate degree? Do you feel like, my last question is, do you feel like your kids, you know, God willing, your children, uh -huh. well, do you think they have the same pressure like we did? Not saying we didn't have to, but it's it's like, if you're gonna do something, you expect it to go all the way, you know? Yeah, so yeah, yeah. Same kind of pressure, you know, it's like, okay, if I'm gonna pursue anything, it's gotta be all the way. Yeah, man, I actually do think so. Um, whether my dad wants to admit it or not, I really think that um, there is that expectation to pursue something in the in the STEM field, but specifically in the medical field. Um, just just recently, um, my dad has told me, you know, if you don't want to pursue medicine, that's fine. I just want you to do well, be successful. But then once I started getting into the med school process and, you know, fortunately was able to get a few acceptances, it seemed like he was getting invested into the process, trying to, I mean, of course I would go to him for advice to ask him what his opinion is on certain schools, what I should be looking at. But it's almost like he was ready to decide, oh yeah, you should go here over here because of this reason. And I'm like, oh, hold up a second. This is my decision. This is still my life. And I mean, I appreciate the advice, you know, he's given me, but is still i think in the back of his mind he still wants me to make sure that i'm picking the best school for him for me to complete this career that he he envisions me in um and even when i think about my siblings like talking about when he talks about my brother he's he he has like sometimes he'll make statements like oh hopefully you know he'll he'll pursue something and maybe like nursing or pa or something like that or my sister like hopefully she eventually decides she wants to go into some healthcare field um so it's very interesting that even though when as you get older um they give you a little bit more leeway in terms of what you want to do still in the back of the mind i feel like they they reveal their their inner maybe intentions for you so I, I I think that's always been there. And do you think your kids sure. yeah. experience that type yeah. of experience? Man, hopefully I get to that point, bro. Um, I think, especially with you, for me, you think. Nah, it's funny because I was just talking to a, another uh, med school student right before um, we started talking, and he he mentioned you know his kids. I possibly going to UNC, but even if they did, he wouldn't try to pursue, force them into medicine. And I think that'd be the same for me. Like, if my kids decide to even go to school um, or go to like um, high, pursue higher education, I should say, shoot, I would want them to pick a degree that's going to be worth the money they're going to be spending. Um, but it doesn't necessarily have to be in medicine. I don't. I think at the end of the day, the the intangibles that we're taught. You know, to work hard, to, you know, stay diligent, um, to be smart with your money, stuff like that. Those are the things I, I try to instill in them. But at the end of the day, I expect them to make their own decisions. I think that's maybe where I would sway away from my parents a little bit because I feel like they still kind of baby me a little bit, <laughs> even though I'm like already close to 30 now, you know what I'm saying? So. Yeah, those are probably where I kind of sway away from that. I got you. Yeah, man, I agree. I think I share similar sentiments. I think for me, initially, when I came to college, I thought, you know, this was the way you had to go to college because that's what we're told. Especially if you come from an immigrant household, you're going to college. Not really a question of do you want to, it's when, you know, and then yeah. study. And the question, when it, even when you ask that question, it's just like, so are you going to be a doctor, a lawyer, an <laughs> Yeah, Man. like there is that's not a lot of options you know because our parents only you know they just know only of the most secure jobs which you know bless their hearts that's just what they, it's what they know mm -hmm. you know what i'm saying i don't can't blame them and even me and honestly i drank that kool-aid until i probably got halfway through college like i'm not mm -hmm. one of those people that think college is a scam i think college is great if you have a plan mm -hmm. and if you're wise yeah about it, i think college can be great for me i mm -hmm. think it's the right choice mm -hmm. But I also, you know, thankfully got scholarships, but also like I I figured I wanted to pursue an occupation, you know, that required a college degree. And, you know, I was okay with mm -hmm. this event. Now I, I'm very grateful for it. Uh, but I've also realized, and like talking to some of my friends who didn't go to college, seeing people, man, 
I also think with my kids, like, you don't have to go to college to be successful. I mean, look at people make millions of dollars off TikTok and Instagram. <laughs> the era of needing a college degree to be successful, you don't need one. You know, our parents grew up in a yeah. where you go to school, get a job, work 40 years, retire. Now we're in an era where I think we get more choice. Jobs can still be great, but mm-hmm. I think it's all about, you have to find out what works for you. What do you feel like gives you purpose? And I think that's the way I look at jobs now. Like, what do you feel like fulfills you? Um, security is important to you. Like, not everybody needs to be an entrepreneur. Not everybody needs to start a YouTube channel. Um, mm-hmm. Everybody needs to start a podcast. It's like I was like, <laughs> I was kidding. <laughs> yeah, I was, I was kidding. No, I think yeah. you know, not everything necessarily, that doesn't need to become everybody's occupation. You can also just love to do things for fun, for hobbies. Or it can be a small business. Nothing's wrong with that, too. I love seeing small businesses yeah. blow up. But uh, I do feel like sometimes uh, people operate in the extremes. Like, okay, forget college, take your money, invest. And, you know, all the Forex people real quiet now. I haven't heard from them. <laughs> it's COVID. I heard no, nothing from no Forex person. At the same time, <laughs> old school would guarantee success to take out $100,000 in loans. That's mm. not true either, especially for like, like yeah. I'm not even gonna say any degrees, but you know, certain degrees just do not seem to generate a certain standard income. But I just think it depends on what you wanna do. Um, and then I think if you decide to pursue medicine like us, I just hope my kids decided, they thought about it like I did, like you did, you know? Um, Cause my parents mm-hmm. simply, it didn't need to be medicine, but STEM, they pretty much expected it. Something around STEM. They like public health too, which is what I study. But they also, mm-hmm. when they heard medicine, they're just like, whew, good choice, good choice, you know, good choice. Their eyes, Their eyes lit up even more. Yeah, they're like this. They're like, okay, you know, they're like, what do you want to do? Okay, that's cool. You know, you can do something else. And I thought, okay, I think I want to be a physician. They were like, you know, that that's a good that's choice. That's a good choice. Yeah, yeah. Hopefully they didn't. They want to see that white coat. They want to be like, wow. Yeah. yeah. I'm a doctor. Exactly. I was just thinking about those uh, memes where you see the African parent trying to like compare their son to your cousin. Oh, yeah. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> I just envision your parents doing that. <laughs> oh, yeah. No, but we're the cousins they're going to compare to, though. It's going to be like, yeah, your cousin Kojo, he's in medical school. You know, that's what they're going to, that's what your dad's going to be saying. Yeah. 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 Uncle's going to be saying. Uh, it's like, you know, about, mm-hmm. like, oh, man, she go to med school. When I decided to go yeah. to, like, to apply for med school and some of my family members found out, tell me why a bunch of my little cousins were telling me their parents kept telling them to, like telling them to come talk to me. Like, you see, Sammy's applying for med school. You need to go take the MCAT. Like, I mean, mind you, some of them are in high school. Wow. Some of them are in high school. <laughs> and they, their parents are telling them to come talk to me. I didn't even get in nowhere yet back then, you know? Thankfully now, yeah, I got into school, but back then, like, yeah. I was like, you don't know how it's going to go. <laughs> yeah. They just heard I was going, they was trying to go to med school, and they just flipped. They were just like, oh, no, my kids need to go to med school. Mm-hmm. So I told mm-hmm. them, I'm sorry that your parents are going to act like that, but hey, it is what it is, right? Yeah, yeah. yeah. I, mean, I think even what we're saying now kind of goes back to what we're talking about, leadership. I think in a lot of, like, African culture, like, Leadership is defined by your, the prestige of your your job, your title, your career. But we're trying to redefine that a little bit. And I think when we have our children, we'll, we'll be able to do that. Just knowing what it's like here in the States um, and the fact that there's different ways for you to become accomplished. It's not just following that professional track and getting maybe a white coat. Um, there's different ways we can do that. Exactly. Personally, I prefer like an NBA jersey to wear every night, but uh, <laughs> a white coat for now, I guess. Yeah, no, yeah, I'm yeah. Not I, I totally agree. I think prestige is overrated because I, think, I remember something my mom always used to say is that, you know, millionaires get depressed too. Leader, like, you know, these celebrities, you see them going crazy on TV every day. So mm-hmm. like prestige and money is not going to guarantee happiness or fulfillment. And I think there's even a study that uh, showed that after a certain level of income, humans will get like marginally happier. I think it was around $80,000 for like a single person. So, I mean, obviously scale that to a family size, but after a certain level of income, if you if your family is fed every day, you can go on little like dinners on the weekends, 
you could take a trip three or four times a year. You have a nice little car, mm -hmm. a nice little yard, safe school, be safe neighborhood. I mean, how much happier will a, a Porsche or a Lambo really make you? Like, yeah, yeah. not really gonna make you that much happier. That's why I tell people like, uh, like you know, don't pursue these crazy careers if you like it's not really what you want. My mentor told me that mm -hmm. find your passion, work hard. Somebody will pay you to do it. So mm -hmm. if you care about somebody's gonna pay you to do it well. You know what I'm saying? Um, but pursuing just something for money alone, obviously money's important. Like it's yeah, yeah, it's just up there with oxygen. You need it. But <laughs> not everything. You know, there's so much more to just making money. Because you might find yourself working seventy hours no. a week, no. make buku's dollars, but spending yeah. you have no time to spend the money. Like you're just sitting there making money and then you're doing the same thing everybody else does. And then don't even get me started on social media. Oh, don't even get me started on that. <laughs> Start on what exactly? I'm just saying, like, I think when you look on yeah. social media, yeah. A lot of times you're going to compare mm -hmm. your you're studying, your little night in, watching Netflix, chilling, which is most people's night. Mm -hmm. I bet you 80% yeah. of people I know right now are probably watching TV, chilling, or studying, or mm -hmm. eating like cookies by the TV. <laughs> through Instagram, you're going to see that, you know, one, two, or three people who right now are in the Bahamas. They're in Italy. Yeah. yeah. On vacation. You're just getting a snapshot Facts. of life. But, you know, you're yeah. always somebody doing that. So every time you go to Instagram, you're thinking, look at everybody's traveling. Everybody's making money. Everybody has a Tesla. Everybody got the a new, you know, um, supercharged car. You know, mm -hmm. body bands, you know, stuff like that. It's like, no, that's just a snap. That's probably three days out of the whole year. Somebody's taking a trip. So you got to really focus on what makes you happy. You know, um, not what is going to impress people on social media. I just think social media, people forget that it's curated. Is not actually how people live. It's just every now and then people maybe do something glamorous. You don't even know if they cry five minutes after that phone. You know, they probably did. Yeah. Yeah. And, yeah. Yeah. I remember this one night. One of my interviews, mm -hmm. sorry to interrupt you. During one of my interviews, mm -hmm. I remember when the financial aid officer was going over like the curriculum, you know, he's going over like loans and going over like housing. He was saying, he was trying to explain how loans work. He was saying, please, 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 I mean, if you get, take out loans, don't go and buy a big body Benz. Please don't. <laughs> <laughs> he said, please don't go buy a big body Benz. Please, I've heard it enough. Make sure you pay the loans yeah. and pay some loans back. Bro, <laughs> that's, that's going to be my main priority after I'm done with school, bro. Like, get them loans paid off. Because once you get them paid off, then it's your money. Besides paying taxes, it's your money. Go, go blow a whole bag, I won't even care. Um, so, yeah. Yeah, I think it's, it's a long road, man, but I, I just think, I believe overall my philosophy is if you find something that fulfills you, working, work is work. I don't care what nobody says. Mm -hmm. I say like, yeah. job, it doesn't feel like a job to me. Cap, I don't care what you do. Everything feels like a job, <laughs> you're gonna get paid to do it. Yeah. You're gonna, you have, there's somebody who's demanding that you do it. If you're CEO, you have um, a board of trustees and shareholders and stakeholders that need you to perform. If you're an employee, you gotta work for your boss. If you're a parent, you're gonna work for your kids. No matter what you do, you're working for somebody. But I feel like if you feel conviction in your work and feel purpose, I find that you're gonna find it worth it. You know, you're not gonna find yourself just wondering every day, why am I here? You know, because I think that's ultimately why I believe medicine is worth it. I believe, in my opinion, um, you really get to make an impact unlike many other careers. And I think if it works for you, man, then you go after it. The money will come. The money will come. Yeah, bro. And just on that note, man, looking forward into the future, you know, some of those traditions that you maybe you didn't get to experience as a kid that maybe your American friends got to experience. Are those are those some of the things that you'll also bring into um, your household as a parent, such as like not allow your kids to sleep over, not allow your kids to shake, um, you know their their relatives' hands with their with their left hand, stuff like that, man. Are those some of the traditions you you think you you'd carry over? 
I mean, I thought about this. As a kid, I thought, you know, when I get older, I'm going to treat my kids with so much, I'm going to give them so much freedom that I didn't get. Mm -hmm. um, because I, if people who don't know, immigrant parents tend to be strict, especially, you know, I can't speak for all countries, but I just, all my friends from West African countries, our parents are strict. We did not, I, I didn't go to a single party until, Wait, hold sorry. Up, hold up a second. My alarm is going off. I got to, I got to stop this real quick. All right, so back on. I was saying that I know that we well, actually yeah, repeat the question. I think I actually forgot. Oh, what traditions will I continue? What traditions mm -hmm. will I maybe pass on, or will I yeah. not pass on to my children? Mm -hmm. I think definitely um, um, certain traditions that I guess I didn't really participate in as a kid is like going to parties. Like, I did not go to a single party. I mean, you know, little birthday parties here and there, but I never went to, like, a party at night until I was 18 in college. So mm. middle and high school, people just stopped inviting me to stuff because they knew I wasn't coming. A lot of times, you're just not going to go because, you know, immigrant parents, they just don't play that. You know, when it's dark, mm -hmm. you're in the house. And my parents, sometimes they'd even be so, I just think, unnecessary that, even, you know, daylight savings, it gets dark around five. For them, it still didn't matter. Mm -hmm. If it was dark, you're in the house. So even if I'm like, you know, I'm trying to go to like a basketball game and they'll be asking, they'll ask me like, why do you need to go when it's so dark? <laughs> like, because of daylight savings, it gets dark at five and the game's at six. Like, I can't control, yeah. I can't control the, you know, the rotation <laughs> of the, the earth and the sun. It would just be stuff like that. Sure. That's just, <laughs> Uh, but at the same time, I do think my parents being a bit strict and having certain expectations, it pushed me to strive academically. Like, they didn't settle for no Cs. I've gotten some Cs, yeah. But, like, for the most part, you know, they they did not. If I came home with A's, it was like, okay, good. You know, like, they were happy. <laughs> for it. No, they didn't tell me they're proud yeah. of me, but it wasn't okay, like I'm okay. going to get a cake or something. You know, they expect me to do yeah. well. You know, it's like, you should do well. You know, you should not be in the back of your class. Mm -hmm. You should be at the top. And I think I do also think it did protect me from things. You never know. There's dangers in a lot of places, a lot of situations. I think especially as a young black male, they just did not want me in certain situations. So at the same time, I did appreciate the fact that they wanted me home at a certain time. I didn't necessarily need to be at, you know, certain people's homes or hanging out with certain people all the time. And, you know, just certain situations I'm sure I've, I've avoided because my parents tended to be a bit stricter. And it did give me a sense of discipline that I think helped me also when I got to college. Because when you get to college, it's free reign. You know, you can do whatever you want, whenever you want. But I think if you haven't learned discipline by then, a lot of people, especially, I think at least, I don't know how many black men I know didn't finish. I had friends and a few mentees who I was like trying to help out that after their freshman year, they had a, either transfer schools or they just never came back. So I do think as strict as my parents were sometimes, it did uh like protect me from dangers seen and unseen and then also just help me um remain like focused to strive to achieve something like you know going to med school mm. so yeah those are i guess some of those values that you still instill in your kid um you, you you're not gonna accept nothing lower than a an a i'm assuming then Oh no! I mean, I would, I'll be the same with that though. Like, they, my kids need to get A's. Okay. That's that's something I was very happy. My parents, okay, okay. Me, I said the same thing. But I'm not gonna be probably as strict. Like, I'll understand a B or a C is not the end for you, especially, you know, when you're young, you you can bounce back. But I don't want to see a trend of bad grades. I'm also I want my kids to have a bit more freedom. Like, I just think sometimes immigrant parents. I can only speak for my Nigerian parents, but they just I think they saw danger everywhere. But I also think, man, you know, you can go to games, hang out with friends, you know, go to the mall and stuff. It's okay, man. Like, yeah, I'm, I'm going to let my kids, I think, do some of the things that I think my parents, like, it was just, it was almost like a, it felt like you were about to take an exam to just simply ask to go to the mall. You have to come up with a plan. You have to, you know, you have to, you have to say that, like, I used to have to say, I'm going with one of my other friends who I know is Nigerian. So, you know, you know yeah. you say you're going with someone else who is African. So that your parents will trust them. Right. You know, I can't say I'm going with some of my friends from school. I was right. like, no, I don't. Uh, <laughs> uh, dude, I think it's frozen. <laughs> I'm just scared it's going to freeze again. But I was going to say that, you know, if you ever wanted to do anything 
Like if I would try to maybe, you know, spend the night at a friend's house, go, you know, to the mall or a game, especially if it was at night, um, I'd have to say that I'm going with a friend or like even a family member that my parents trust. And if it's a friend, it's got to be somebody that they know and their family has to be African. That was the only way I was going to be able to get, get away with it. You know what I'm saying? If I just said I'm going with some friends from school, it was going to be a no. My parents would just have a bad <laughs> They just have a bad feeling about it. They'd be like, you're not going anywhere. Yeah. Yeah. So, yeah I mean, I, mean I, I guess you had no choice but to get A's. I mean, you weren't going to do anything else. So. <laughs> mm-hmm. That That's a good point. I mean, that little point about how y- your family is always kind of paranoid whenever you go out. I mean, it kind of it kind of relates to what we were talking about when we were standing for the MCAT. Whenever you go on the MCAT Reddit, one person will bring like the most absurd case talking about, oh, I got a 492 on the on a practice exam. My exam is tomorrow. The world is over. Like, wh- what do you want us to do? The funniest, <laughs> funniest would be like, okay. The funniest would be like, like, you know, like, oh, 499 on my MCAT. Do I have a chance of getting a 516 on the real thing? <laughs> like, what? <laughs> you think you're going to jump 17 points tomorrow? Yeah. Whoa, yeah. bro, like, I don't think it works like that. Uh, yeah. Or people do things like, you know, if you, you know what I'm saying? Let's say this, a 520 with a 3.9 GPA, do I have a chance? This, You know, somebody's trolling, mm-hmm. like, nah, you have no chance. Don't even apply. <laughs> Your stats are terrible. Don't even apply. And it's like those one case examples, they, they get stretched out into reality. And, I mean, those WhatsApp groups that a lot of our African parents are in, They'll get a one news story and they'll stretch it out and make it into reality for everyone. So that's, I mean, that's, I guess, one way I can relate how our parents feel with our own experience with standing for the MCAT. You know, the worst thing to do is when you're about to tell your parents you're going to go out and you're going downstairs mm-hmm. and catch them watching the news. Oh, my. Yeah. <laughs> you'll see in the news is like, you know, two men were shot in downtown. Yeah. Uh, there's a, you know, there's COVID is rampant now. And then there's like, you know, it's so dangerous outside these days because the news, the whole, the news, they like are trying to, you know, evoke this sense of fear and terror so that you continue to watch. But your parents watch that. And you're trying to tell them, okay, I'm about to head out. They're like, no, mm-mm. it's too dangerous yeah. out there. Don't go nowhere. That's why I hate when they're watching the news. And I'm about to go do something. Yeah. Yeah. And I think probably one of the biggest skills I've learned from school is to be a skeptic. To, to scrutinize everything you hear, not just take it at face value. So I'll leave, I'll leave it on that note. Um, Sam, man, it was a great having you on this pod. Is there anything you'd like to leave us with? I mean, I feel like we talked about most things. To all the listeners out here, please stay in tune with, you know, friend zone. Stay up to date with what Kojo is doing. Congratulate my brother here for all the great work he's doing. You know, always got his hands on something. Um, you still doing mint, mint condition or mint kick? <laughs> yes, sir. Yes, sir. On the low, on the low. I'm going to have to, you know, slow down on it, especially with med school impending. But, yeah, just making a little bit of money on the side with it. That's cool, man. Well, I hope to come back on here one day, bro. It's always mm-hmm. good talking to you, man. Encouraging you, you know, as you select your school, you know, hopefully you'll tell the folks where you're going to go later in the spring. Um, but yeah, no, I just encouraging all y'all, you know, stay safe out here. Um, you know, shake with your right hand, not with your left, <laughs> <laughs> you know, do your thing. Um, have a growth mindset, you know, be willing to adapt and grow. Life is short. Yes, it is. Yes, it is. And, um, Sooner, sooner than later, I'm, I'm assuming you're going to also be making an announcement of where you're going to be going. Should people be looking out for that? And where where can they find that announcement? Yeah, so, I mean, the draft is, what, June 4th? June, June what's the draft, mm. NBA draft this year? So, yeah, stay tuned. Um, and I'm also going to drop an EP right before the draft. Okay, so, okay. stay tuned for the EP, stay tuned for where I get drafted to. And then if those don't work out, then, yeah, I'll let you know where I'm going to me- go to med school. <laughs> uh, maybe, maybe the next time I hop on here, we could both kind of talk about where we're going and, you know, yeah. see how, but 
Yeah, yeah, yeah. So also anyone listening, if you could, if you're listening and know me, feel free to reach out. Questions, advice with medicine, leadership, just life, you know, I just want to chat, you know, hit me up, hit me up. Uh, Kojo, this has been great, brother. Love you, man. You have a good night. Love you too, bro. This is Kojo Minta. This is Sam Ndukwe. And this is the Frenzo. We're out. Thank you for making it to the very end. Remember, a share goes a long way. And I hope to see you back in the friend zone. Bye-bye.